Hey there, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Natureversity podcast. Today, I have with me Ginger Webb from the Sacred Journey School of Herbalism, as well as Texas Medicinals. Ginger, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing well. Thanks, Chris. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, our goal here, again, with this podcast is just to have fun chatting and to introduce people to new avenues of how to connect to nature. And I think herbalism is one that I think maybe intimidates some people at first, hmm. but I think once you start getting into the actual botany and I, what I, I guess you and I would call ethnobotanical, right? The relationships yeah. between people, I think it starts to kind of, I don't know, it, it fades away that fear because you start to really get to know. Well, I think plants. maybe some people might be afraid because if, they feel like I'll never become, I'll never know everything. And it's like, no, you will not. You will never know everything. It's there you a go. constant, constant, constant learning process. And that's part of what's so fun about it too, right? Is like, I'm never going to know all of it. And there isn't even an it to know it all of, right? Like it's all creative exploration. Like there's actual things that are true. And then there's things that become true by your, ex your relationship with those plants, for instance, you know, yeah, I think about plant allyship and people who, you know, I think each one of us, um, there's going to be several plants that we really resonate with and that we really like. And that's not that big mysterious thing either. It's kind of like, okay, well, what, you know, now that you've met a whole lot of different plants, which are the ones that speak to you? Which ones are the ones that you want to go run over and say hi to? And it's like, well, that's your ally. So like deepening people, people will deepen their relationship with particular plants. And then that basically creates like a whole new um, understanding of the plant, a whole new relationship that the, that person can then bring that plant to people in a whole new way. So it's it's literally infinite. Yeah, <laughs> study it, herbalism. it truly is. Because I, do you think or well, do you feel the plants also are adapting to us in conjunction to that? So meaning as we study one plant and thousands of years goes by, it's been with us. It has evolved in some way because we're messing with it i don't know if it like not messing with it in like a, a franken no, franken no 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 no, no. messing you know with it what? like hanging out with it yeah, loving it right exactly. like enjoying it and making friends with it and or just acknowledging it and, and like a lot of plants i feel like you know i mean this is anthropomorphizing like that's oh all, that's yeah. all big word to say but anthropomorphizing yeah plants quite a bit to think that they you know to say well they feel this way but the fact is is that when you're in relationship with another being like another plant you know like a lot of plants haven't been seen in a really really long time and suddenly you know a whole classroom of people come and go hi 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 and get into it and it's like how fun is that right i think the plants do respond to that so yeah <clears throat> i would think i was asking more through the vein of the Oh, botany of desire uh -huh. type, you know, oh, how, yeah. how yeah. we as humans cultivated these plants. And I think the perception he has is that, oh, we thought we were getting all the benefits, <laughs> but here the plant is going, well, you just propagated me all over this planet. And that's what I really wanted. So thanks. And I love that perception of the relationship between humans and plants. Yeah. So um, really quick, just getting to know you, um, Ginger Webb. And what would you say your title and profession is? Herbalist. Herbalist. Yeah. And you are the director of Sacred Journey School of Herbalism. Mm -hmm. And when did you start that? How did that begin? I think I officially started it um, 11 years ago. 11 or 12 years ago. Uh, so whatever that puts us at, what, 20, uh, 2011? Yeah. Yeah. So I've been an herbalist for, I've been studying herbalism for 30 years. Um, uh, and I did teach before I actually founded the school. But in 2011, that's when I actually started 
in earnest creating large programs. Yeah. Um, yeah. And what kind of programs do y'all offer? So the primary program that I offer that we offer <laughs> is, um, the, is a 200-hour program that spans eight or nine months, and it really is designed to uh, teach people and present people with all of the most important foundational tools so that they can take those those tools of herbalism and run with them and continue learning. So right. I didn't want to teach a lot of small programs here and there and like this class and that class and this a 30 hour class and a five hour class, because I feel what, um, what happens is people don't actually know what they're missing. They're not, they don't know what are the tools and techniques and lessons that they haven't learned if they do that. And right. so with this foundational program, I really, it was designed so that like, no, I'm going to make sure you guys know everything you need to know so that moving forward, no matter what class you take anywhere else, you will know what is the foundation. Yeah. And so when you start, you just begin by going out to the field with nature guides and field guides and just identifying plants and getting to know them. Yeah. Well, we have, um, uh, it used to be in-person, like, lecture style. Now it's uh, Zoom lecture style um, and the outdoor. So we have both simultaneously, um, a lot more outdoor than on Zoom. But, um, and uh, and so we start by, we start usually with the online class and we, we all, everybody gets, like, these herbal goodie bags in the mail or they pick them up, whatever, um, with lots of different herbs in them. And then we'll prepare tea together at all our separate locations and drink those teas together to experience. So really the first, I think the first thing that we do together as a class is we experience an herb with our own bodies by ingesting it and drinking it. Yeah. Yeah. So do you think that this, it sounds like to me what is called a correspondence course, kind of sort of similar? Um, It's not a correspondence course. It's just during the pandemic, we went ahead and moved the the um, lecture style classes where we used to meet at a classroom somewhere, a physical classroom. We've just moved those onto zoom and that actually has enabled us to have people from all sorts of different places yeah. to take it. But then the people that, um, but that's like 75 hours of the class. That's every Tuesday night for however many months that is. And the outdoor portion of the class is 125 hours. So it's, it's a great deal more. Yeah. But yeah. So I wouldn't call it a correspondence course. Okay. It's, but, a, it's an interactive Zoom class. But your students are all over America. I mean, mostly, I would say mostly Texas. Okay, It's just that it started out being all Austin, then kind of central Texas, and now with Zoom, we're actually enabling, it's, we're allowed, you know, people that maybe live in the Valley or people live in Houston, they can do the Zoom class and then just come for the weekend for the outdoor portion. And do you think that it's better for people to learn their own, what we would call uh, bioregional botanicals? Well, I don't know if it's better or worse, but I love it. Yeah. So that's what I love. So, oh, yeah. Yeah, I was curious if you, I was going to ask you about that. Is there is there any studies that show that in herbalism practicing from, you know, eastern traditional plants versus what's here in lo- local and native to us if it does work better or worse? I'm always curious oh, about that. Oh, right. Yeah, well, I just think that in my experience, it's because I actually can develop a relationship with a plant that lives here or mm-hmm. that I can grow here. Whereas I have other plants that I work with that grow in other parts of the country. Um, and I just don't know them as well. I don't have the same kind of intuitive feel with them. I don't have the same understanding of them in the way that I do with the ones that live here. And the another benefit of working with the plants that live around us is that you're able actually to harvest your own medicine that way. And the quality of the medicine and the connection you have with that medicine 
is just exponentially higher than you know what you would get in commerce so yeah, yeah maybe maybe that's what it is is it's the concept of you're going out physically moving your body cultivating you know maybe maybe cultivating grow, going growing them in a garden little spiral herb little garden, wild right? gardens too right yeah. or it's like oh i'm gonna actually like encourage this wild patch here exactly to, to grow i've been doing that right now with my uh, retibita the mexican hat yeah um, and just really encouraging it to grow so that i have more and more of it to harvest yeah yeah that's that's really cool so after botany um what's one of the first herbalist quote unquote things y'all do uh, at, at the program well you, like, so we, we learn tastes and impressions oh <clears throat> kind of like uh, energetics of plants yeah so will. the energetics of plants sure. right and again this is a tool that it will enable you to be able to at any time taste a plant as long as you know it's safe and it's not going to kill right. you <laughs> taste a plant and you will know by that taste um, what kind of actions that plant will have in your body, uh. which is incredible. So all, so much of this learning that we're, um, we're sharing is the kind of learning that can enable you to, I mean, I'm a bookaholic, but this will enable you to not have to look at the books to a great extent. I mean, obviously we're still going to use books, but it enables you to have the, it's like experiential learning and experiential understanding of plants. I can just taste it and go, oh, well, I know this is going to do this, 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 and this. Yeah. Do you think those Peter Holmes books are a good reference to all that stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah? definitely. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because mm -hmm. that's what's coming to mind is when you started talking, or we both started talking about energetics and like cooling and uh, hot or, you know, dry or, but yeah, I think that is so tough to, tune into as a human mm, yeah and that's I, why we do it early early on in the program so that they can spend the entire eight months practicing it so they wow. get better and better and better at it because that tool is invaluable well ginger i'm inspired i want to take the class <laughs> Great, I, it's, it's, on, it's, how long has it been uh, nine minutes okay you sold <laughs> this is gonna be exciting because i really do feel like it's not just adults but like Kids should be in on this. I have a little book over there. It's like all about herbalism. And um, it says a kid's herb book. You might know that book. Who wrote it? Um, that one's uh, Leslie Tierra. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh -huh. And I find that book so much fun to do with the mm -hmm. kids. So I just want to get to know plants more because all of my background has been through like bow making, cordage, yeah. uh, baskets. I love plants, but I am I would say I'm more in the like utilitarian mm -hmm. vein versus the, the medicinal vein. But um, so- the utilitarian vein is just another it's like medicinal is just one aspect of utilitarian yeah right and i would so agree you're kind of like you're doing the whole bigger umbrella sure and i'm just doing this one little one, one it's not little <laughs> i was gonna say don't don't diminish it it's grand work um so just let's go back a little bit i want to hear a little bit about you now that we know who you are um where were you born I was born in New Jersey. New Jersey. Yeah, I'm a Jersey girl. All right. I love New Jersey. It's a beautiful and, place. Yeah. And what was child uh, childhood like growing up? Were you outside a lot or were you in the I, urban I sprawl? I was I was outside quite a bit. Yeah. Um, I spent a lot of time in the woods. Um, I remember uh, the first time my mom got me this magazine. Like there was this kids magazine. It first came out. It was like had unheard of that there was a kids magazine. It was called Cricket. And they had this article about making a violet leaf salad. And I remember, I don't know how I knew that that was violets in the woods. Um, I don't believe they were blooming, but I, I'm, I'm impressed now in retrospect that I actually knew they were violets. So I harvested them and I made a salad. And of course I didn't like it, right? Because it was pretty bitter and it's oh, very yeah. wild tasting. But I remember doing that as a child. And I grew up among the Queen Anne's Lace and Sassafras, you know. So those were my summer plants. The Queen Anne's Lace I spent a lot of time with. I spent a lot of time with daisies. Yeah, so my mom was a gardener, but I didn't, you know, I think she gardened to uh, 
for solitude <laughs> oh, from us. Sure. So for me, it was really more just the, the beautiful wild stuff. Sumac. Yeah. So they I was up a, in Northern Jersey. Okay. I was going to say they have a lot of high bush blueberry over there. Yes. And, yes. And yeah. Now that I go back and I look and I try to identify the plants that are there that I've known my entire life, I'm like, there's a million different varieties or species of uh, some kind of vaccinium or blueberry or yeah. huckleberry or wortle, whatever they all are. Well, yeah. here in Austin, we have farkleberry. Yeah. I like and, to call it sparkleberry. Oh, spark. Wait, what do you, why, why is that? <laughs> well, that's one of its alternative names oh. is sparkleberry. And that's certainly fun for think, the kids, right? I think of the game, the dice game, farkle. Oh, I don't know that game. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's a, I, it's it's a definitely ridiculous. a very fairy, fairy plant, you know, like yeah. it's so a thick sparkle. But know. I think... But I, to me, they're just as good. Yeah. I love yeah. them. Yeah, the, one of my favorite ones is the, um, oh gosh, now it's not coming to me. It's the one that's like fruit leather. One of your favorite. It's vaccinians? a viburnum. It's a oh, viburnum. a viburnum. Yeah. It's a fruit leather. I was going to say fruit. It's one of my favorite fruits. Blackhaw? Yeah. Rusty okay. Blackhaw. Uh-huh. That's one. Uh-huh. That little droops. Oh man. I don't man. see them very often, so I actually haven't tasted them. We have a lot at Marymore, Sierra uh-huh. Park here at the back towards the creek. Okay, they just cool. grow all over the place. And if you don't, if you beat the birds to them. The fruit leather taste is very akin to just like a fruit roll-up, but obviously not the <laughs> synthetic dyes and sugars and all that stuff. But it has that same texture, and I love that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you were growing up, you were tromp, tromping around the woods. And what was um, school like? Did you go to school for the outdoor education or environmental sciences or earth sciences? <laughs> no, What did you do? I studied French. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, okay. um, but I remember when I was in college, I went to college and uh, we were on trimester system, which meant that you were it was really jam-packed. Like there was no extra time to, to study anything else. And I remember there was this class and it was on edible plants, edible wild plants. And, um, I couldn't, it, but it wasn't for credit. So I couldn't take it cause I didn't have enough time to take another class. And I uh. remember, I mean, it's so interesting, right? Like I was interested back then when I was about 20, um, and I wasn't able to take the class. So I went off into French land, <laughs> you know, I came and that's actually how I got to Austin was I came to Austin t- for, um, grad school in French uh, and I started okay. studying, uh, French at a uh, graduate level, um, and at UT? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And quickly realized that like, okay, I did not want a PhD in this, you know, and I, I just kind of finished it up, finished yeah. up a master so that I would not have wasted that one year. Sure. <laughs> so I did two years, got a master's degree. And then strangely enough, I ended up in AI back in the early nineties. So in 1990, I got a job in artificial intelligence. I think they thought that because I had a French linguistics degree, I was going to be able to teach their machine to talk. And I'm just like, yeah, no, I can't do that. So I worked there (laughs) for a year and it was, it was fascinating, but it also, I very quickly, excuse me, I very quickly realized like, wow, we're getting like, you know, U S military funding, I do not like working in this. It, it's like it, it was very scientific and interesting, right? So it was interesting in terms of like how cool it was that people were working on such a program or project. But I didn't like where the funding was coming from. I didn't like what maybe it was going to be used for. I didn't DARPA. like the people, <laughs> you know. And there was a really interesting crew of people working on my team, and it was like an anthropologist, a musician, me, a botanist. It was like um, people with very diverse backgrounds because they were trying to diversify the information that we were teaching this machine. (laughs) That's interesting. Wow. So when I, so I decided to quit and did a 180 and started, um, I I moved uh, for various reasons. I moved to Amsterdam and I started volunteering with a, in 
Environment and Development Organization, WISE Amsterdam, which WISE is an international organization that used to be very, very much focused on uh, ending nuclear proliferation. And um, I started volunteering there. And by just really cool people that I was working with and everything, I stumbled, I stumbled upon herbalism. I found myself sitting at a desk and I was trying to figure out how do you get people to care about the earth enough to protect the earth? And I was like, well, people need to feel a connection. Like, it's not, it can't be an abstract thing. They have to have a relationship with the earth or with yeah. nature. And <clears throat> when I stumbled upon herbalism just from a colleague um, uh, telling me about it, um, I was like, wow, that's what I want to do. You know, that's how I can stay connected, um, moving away from working at a computer all the time. And, uh, and so when I ended up moving back to the States, I just dove in headfirst and, and haven't looked back. So that was early 90s, yeah. Yeah. So what was the first thing you did upon arrival back at the States? Um, I, I remember at the time it was funny because my dad, I moved back to New Jersey temporarily and my dad was like, you know, I think to pursue this, you're going to have to go back to Austin or go to another major metropolitan, a progressive metropolitan area type situation. And the next day, this is obviously before the internet, I found, I was networking like crazy, like looking in the backs of magazines and stuff. And I found this uh, tri-state herbalist newsletter, which was for herbalists in New Jersey, Connecticut, and New York. And I was like, there's enough herbalists that they have a network. Boom. <laughs> so I found them. And then I moved to New York and worked at an herb store for a while. And I went to an herb conference up in um, uh, Massachusetts. And then by the time I was ready to move back to Austin, you know, I did the same thing when I got here. I just started poking around. Yeah, and, networking, um, yeah. You know, and I had th those kinds of serendipitous, magical things. Like one day I was like, well, what could I do with herbs? Well, maybe I could do, maybe I could do herb radio. And literally the next day, this is at the very start of co-op radio, when co-op radio was starting in 1993 or four, um, somebody called me the next day and asked, hey, would you like to come do herb radio? <laughs> just having those kinds of things, you know? Isn't that weird how yeah, that happens? really beautiful. That, yeah. That that is the most unique thing about life. I'm sure you know what um, icky guy is. Mm, I'm not sure what that is. Oh, gender. I can't wait to tell you about this. I, all the, all the <laughs> listeners are going to go, hold on. Let me fast forward through this. Cause we've heard Chris talk about this 5 million times, but um, icky guy is just a Venn diagram where you have four circles, one, two, three, and four, and they all come together. Mm. And in the middle is that Zen purpose mm. for being, but it's your, you know, mission, you know, the things the world needs. It's that, which you have a passion for that, which you're good at. And finally that, which can make you money. Mm. So, mm -hmm. or sustain you. And mm -hmm. that, when those four things come together, that's your icky guy or your Zen purpose for being. <laughs> but I was going to say beyond that, once you find or you kind of tap into that passion of your icky guy, then suddenly it's like the universe just knows and it just starts throwing the opportunities right in front of you. And yeah. you, you pretty much have to trip over them <laughs> or be really observant to recognize them because the same thing happened with me. I was like doing a vision quest and just in the middle of nowhere in California. And I was like, I got to pack my stuff. I got to go back. I got to do something different. And the moment I got back, somebody called and was like, Hey, you don't want to work with, work with kids. I was like, you got to be <laughs> kidding. How weird is this? So that's beautiful. That yeah. story about how you got there. So you're working at an herb store and what were you doing during that time? Was that really the time of like, uh, building up your botany understanding or were you actually physically making herbs and tinctures and practicing? Well, that was in New York city and that was just a couple months. So when I moved back to Austin, I actually got a job at the American Botanical Council after a while. Yeah. So that was really where I had more, um, 
that was really where I just got to deepen into my initial learning. Yeah. Right. Um, and so, what, what kind of job was that? So I had this job where I got to read articles about herbs and then write a summary about the article. So I was basically writing these things called herb clips, but so I got to read about herbs for a living and then basically summarize the articles. So talk about an amazing way to learn, right? I yeah. was learning on the job. That's and then I was amazing. also, yeah. I was also the point person the herbal education point person for like calls that came in from all over the country of people going, I have this health problem. What can I do? And I'm like, I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> let I me just, send you a brochure. I don't yeah. know. Or let me send you an article. It was really kind of crazy. Um, and, but in the, in the, in the process of working there at the American Botanical Council here in Austin, I had access to an extensive library and there was a lot of academic stuff. So a lot of things that were written by people in academia studying medicinal plants, but the ones that I always gravitated to the books I always gravitated to were the books written by herbalists Mm. because they actually had that hands-on, that hands-on, um, heart to heart connection with the plants in a way that the academics was interesting stuff what the academics had to say, but it didn't, you know, it wasn't the craft of herbalism. And to me, it's the craft of herbalism, the marriage of people and plants together and how, how we learn to work, uh, to help people by working with plants, as opposed to being able to look in an encyclopedia and see like, oh, well, maybe this plant will work for me for this problem. And it's not really the way it works. Yeah. You know? Did you have one book that you were just like never let go or never put down? <laughs> like you'd read it then 10,000 times. Like- mm. Well, I'd say I, I think my favorite one back then would have been um, David Hoffman's The New Holistic Herbal. And to this day, I still think it's one of my top 10 Top top thirty. <laughs> yeah, top one hundred. I know. I got a lot of books. Um, I, his book is excellent, excellent. But the books that really grabbed me were Michael Moore's books. So because Michael Moore, um, he wrote about he he was teaching in the Southwest United States, so New Mexico and Arizona, and um, so his books did cover some plants that grew here in Central Texas. Um, and plus he was hysterical and irreverent, and I loved him. And he his book Medicinal Plants of the Desert and Canyon West. Um, is going as one of my all-time favorites, as well as medicinal plants of the Mountain West. And so, as I was working at the American Botanical Council, I I knew I wanted to go study herbalism. You know, I wanted to become an herbalist, not just know about medicinal plants, but actually to learn the craft. Yeah. And so I applied to Michael's program oh. in Arizona, and I got to go study with him in 1999. Oh, he was one of your mentors. Life. Oh, he was my primary teacher. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I feel like now I'm interviewing two people at once. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, Ginger. Um, so what was that like? You got to Arizona? Yeah, it was life-changing. Yeah. Right? How yeah, long so, did you spend there? So the program was from January to June or January to May, something oh, like six that. six months. That's yeah, awesome. but it was solid. You know, we were living there on site. Yeah, or, that's know, the way to do it. Yeah. So, you know, it's just Michael all day. <laughs> and that's great. So when he was, uh, I, you know, I did that with um, Tom Elpel uh-huh. for about a month. Uh, he took us all over Montana and Wyoming and I think some parts of Idaho and different stuff. But it was oh, that's awesome. the He's best so wonderful. Yeah. thing in the world to just yeah. study plants right. with somebody who's that big of a passionate individual about well, Thomas Elpel's book um, Botany Today is one of our core books that we oh, yeah. use in my program yeah two copies um, aren't there he, <laughs> he does it's an amazing you know I think that the the book that he's created is 
is such a beautiful tool for herbalists. It's really great. Yeah, I, really, I, I, really I love couldn't it. agree more. Um, and it's so versatile as far as Texas goes. Mm-hmm. I'd, I, I, what I do is I just put a little dot next to all the ones when I thumb through. So, but you just see these dots all over the pages, and I'm like, I feel good about this book because this is probably 85% of what's in his books here in Texas. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, you know, the, the, what, he, what he teaches is those patterns, right? Yeah. And I think that that's what's so – one of the – a really important part for me about teaching herbal medicine is to teach people these patterns so that you don't have to learn, you don't have to memorize stuff. It's like once you start seeing patterns, That's then right. you, your your brain remembers it. You know, your brain remembers things differently that way. I think that, you know, we've evolved to be able to see patterns in nature and to remember where we picked those delicious blueberries, you right. know, so that we can get back there another time or I what am. that plant looks like or whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, to see the gestalt of a plant and to then be looking for it other places and be able to find it. And you, it's hard to pinpoint exactly, well, what did it look like? But you know what it looked like. Right. You have that vision in your head. But then also in our program, we do actually actively teach the botany so that, yes, there's the gestalt. Oh, I just know what it looks like. So I know that that's that plant. But now we teach it so that you actually have the words to describe. Well, because the leaves are opposite and look, that stem is reddish. And I know that the leaves always form this little point and blah, 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 whatever. All those yeah, kinds square of- stems and opposites, y'all. Irregular <laughs> flowers, mint family. <laughs> That's exactly because that's yeah. how I felt when. Well, I'm an animal tracker, and I and I love wildlife, wildlife tracking, and I think that's. Um, there's a gentleman. Oh gosh, what's his name now? Louis Liebenberg. He wrote this book uh, called The Origin of Science, and he thinks that animal tracking was the origin of all science, and it's because exactly what you just said about how we had to form pattern recognitions mm-hmm. in order to track down or trail in his uh, terminology, trail game to obtain sustenance for ourselves and family. And that just blew my mind when I read his book. I was like, whoa, it's like the, you know, if you think about um, somebody who teaches wildlife tracking, they're technically a language teacher, mm-hmm. right? They're a art teacher and they're a science teacher. Mm-hmm. And it's all wrapped up into one. And mm-hmm. the more I think about herbalism, the more I think about plants, I feel like it's the same thing because you're recognizing patterns. And that's mm-hmm. how humans predominantly yeah. learn with the hippocampus mm-hmm. and our little spatial, spatial reference map that we have. <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, and so I, I just, I'm totally nerding out over here because I have a million questions on my left to ask. But um, yeah, so what was the, the Michael Moore experience beyond six months? You you went there for six months. What were you doing when you were there? So, um, <laughs> you know, a, a lot of the program was, was uh, in, in a classroom um, listening to him lecture. He would pass around tinctures. He had, um, you know, now it seems... Of course, he would have a screen with the pictures of the plants on him. But back then, it was this huge deal that, like, he connected his computer to a TV, and we got to see the pictures of the plants, you know. Um, and uh, and he would lecture, and he was brilliant. He was brilliant, you know. And you got to learn the plants just by lecture to a great extent. Like, I feel like I learned from him so deeply and so profoundly that way. Um, and then we would take – we would go on camping trips or one-day excursions or things like that. But the camping trips, you know, we would all pack up into cars and go off for a week, or the last one was a two-week-long camping trip. And Best by the times. end of that, it's like you couldn't remember what clocks were, you know. <laughs> it's like, what's a clock? Such what does a that good mean? feeling. You know? um, yeah, and so we'd go. We'd, we'd, he'd take us to different places, and then he would just, you know, plop down on the ground next to a plant and start talking about it. And yeah. um, we would have opportunities then to harvest like that, yeah. Was, and that's basically the way I teach now too. It's just that we don't go on the camping trips. We have like um, 
<clears throat> now the way the class is structured is that we'll, we have one weekend a month that is primarily f- focused on, or it is focused on outdoor learning. So, um, yeah. yeah. And but, we just focus on that like that. But the people in your program, they can still do it at like their local park or anything like that. On their own, sure. On their own. Yeah, yeah, of course, yes. That's yes, awesome. Yes, yes. And has that been able to allow you to cast a broader net? Have you gotten a lot more people signed up for what you're doing now that you're able to offer it at this, you know, in that way versus only in person? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, the And the fact that this year is the first year that we're just going to have it be one weekend a month. So up until now, it's been like several Saturdays a month. Yeah. And we just kind of consolidated into one weekend a month to, to facilitate that. So yeah, no, I keep hearing like, you know, when I talk to people um, and they're signing up and I learned that you know, this one lives in Houston. This one lives in the Rio Grande Valley. This one lives, you know, she lives in San Antonio, whatever. So people that are coming from further away. And we do have other people that are just take the online course. Um, our farthest away was Indonesia. So that was pretty so cool. cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So Jara, she's really, she's really great. Um, but also Minnesota and mm. Colorado and, you know, the Northeast. So I don't know always where everybody's from all the time, but um but yeah, the uh, the the in person class. Yeah, we have people that are coming from a little further away now. Yeah, casting a lot of pebbles out there. <laughs> it's feeling good. All those ripples. So, the ripples um, are incredible. It's, yeah, it's really. It's um. I think that that's it's something I didn't anticipate getting to experience is yeah. seeing the ripple effect out of having this uh, program for 11 years and seeing what's happening with it, with the people that have come through my school and what they're doing with, with Right. It. Do you think that Michael recognized that ripple in you? Like, did, did you and him ever talk or did he ever say to you anything like, Ginger, I know you're going to do big in this no, field. No, he never said anything really? like that. No. I, I don't know. I, I, <laughs> I have a lot of students and I can just tell like which ones are going to like uh-huh. go with this for the rest of their lives and which ones are kind of like the weekend warriors having fun <laughs> and stuff like that. But yeah, the ones that I know for sure, I'm just like, I'm whatever you need. I'm here to help you along this way. Because I know what it was like for me uh-huh. growing up and wanting this knowledge and this wisdom and how I wouldn't say people put barriers up for me to get it. But maybe it was my own barriers or perceptions of barriers that I was like, Oh no, you know, like pottery, it's just so intimidating. Like, Oh no, making a bow. It's just so intimidating. Flint napping. I could never. Mm-hmm. And yet I just kind of gently worked through it and mm-hmm. slowly it became something that I felt good at and confident in. And now everybody's like, yeah, let's do that together. So, mm-hmm. um, so you left Arizona and what was after Michael Moore? So I came back to Austin and I, You know, I was always laughing the way Texas Medicinal started, which I started 24 years ago, um, my herbal medicine making business. That's older than the school itself. (laughs) Yeah. I didn't know that. Absolutely. Yeah. I've been doing it for 24 years. Um, And uh, that really started because I came back from Michael's program with quartz and quartz and quartz of tincture. And I was like, how do I get this medicine to the people? Well, I could do consultations and I can do that to an extent, but that's daunting and it's not as much medicine goes out. So... Well, and I just start, you know, let me start bottling it up and selling it. Um, and so that's what I started doing. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll go to the farmer's market and sell the medicine and things like that. So that's how Texas Medicinal started. Um, and I probably was teaching a little class here and there. And then I had a baby. 
(laughs) So I was doing, you know, uh, medicine. So the medicine making was really took precedence over anything else that I was doing career wise or because, you know, I was raising a child. So I was a primary caregiver. So um, I would just do the medicine making when I had some free time and then, you know, take care of my kid. And then um, and it wasn't until she was maybe uh, 11 I think, yeah, they're 22 now. She is 22. So yeah, when they, when they turned 11, that's when I, um, I, I was like, okay, I think I can start teaching now. Yeah. Yeah. When you first got into making medicine or medicinals, what, what did you feel? It was daunting. Did you feel like, oh my gosh, like, what do I have to research and get approval? Like, were there? No, (laughs) no, no. I mean, oh, you mean like when I was making it to sell? Is that uh, what you mean? Yeah, meaning yeah, like prepping all this, like labels, and was there anything FDA approval wise? Oh, oh and like yes, all yes, that yes, yes, yes. No, I thought you meant like when I was making the medicine itself back no. at like back on the campsite or something like that. You know, I mean, we learned. I learned really, really solid medicine making with Michael, and then that's still what I do in my program is I make sure everybody knows all of the all of the primary techniques that are required for medicine making, um, as well as the best um, methods so that you can be sure and always make really potent, really good medicine um, without going overboard either. So I still want to keep it accessible, right? So I know that a lot of people are out there, um, there's a lot of other really nerdy, really cool ways of, of, augmenting your tinctures and doing things um, like spagyrics are so fascinating, right? And then doing like other kinds of extractions that involve heat and things like that. But I also really think it's important for people to feel that tincture making is accessible. So I stick to, it's not the folk method. We teach uh, tincture making with ratios and measurements, but you don't need special equipment. You just have a jar and a scale and some plants that you chopped up and put them in with the alcohol, right? So it's it's simple but um, systematic. Yeah. So I want it to be accessible. Yeah. And as far as um, like getting permission, so for instance, Natureversity, we we have to have a lot of contracts in place and permission mm-hmm. from all these sites and things like that. When you go into a shop, like to offer Texas medicinals, do they have some kind of protocol that's like, oh no, you've got to have X, Y, and Z permission, you know, like certified or like a board or is, is, so, is so Texas in terms of one the, of the, the legality of having yeah. Texas medicinals as a business yeah. and medicine making. So herbal medicine uh, is technically a dietary, their dietary supplements and legally they fall under the rubric of food. So if the FDA looks at food and drugs or regulates food and drugs, herbal medicine falls under food. So it's a subcategory of food. This is something that some of the big companies fought for really hard back in the 90s. So in 1994, the Dietary Supplement Health and Education Act enabled herbal medicine to continue legally um, by making it uh, uh, regulated under the category of food. So you don't have to have like a lab. You can just make it the same way you might have a commercial kitchen for food making. Right. So that's what I always had was I had a commercial kitchen. Um, I didn't do like a big stove and a head, you know, like a, what do you call it? Over a hood, overhead, oh, yeah, and yeah. the grease trap and stuff. I'm like, no, I'm just making herbal medicine. Sure. It is, yeah. So I had a commercial kitchen. Mm-hmm. I'm just curious. And the reason I'm asking all these questions is just because I've always been interested in what type of like regulations or 
barriers or things like that. Like, um, I've got a friend, she may be listening to this right now. Her name is Rebecca Zeff. She's a doctor up in, um, Washington state. Um, her father is Dr. Jared Zeff. He's one of the Bastier professors. And, you know, I don't know that she can practice, uh, naturopathic medicine here in Texas because they right. don't offer any type of <laughs> official license. You can practice some, but not all of it or Correct. something, right? Yeah, yeah. And I don't know all that stuff, but I know some of it, yeah. Yeah, and so that's what... It ever it's hard for naturopaths to want to stay here. Yes, precisely. And so ever since that, I just always scratched my head at, I guess, what we would call red tape. And uh-huh. just to see how daunting or, you know, oh man, is this... Well, for an herbalist to practice in a health field capacity... Um, we have a governing organization called the American Herbalist Guild mm-hmm. and governing, I would say that loosely. It's more like a, let's all join the American Herbalist Guild and be a part of each other's lives, right? So it's like, this is our professional organization, I guess is what I would say. But there is no certification. You can jump through some hoops and become a professional member of that organization. But we still, as herbalists, are continuing to choose to not be regulated. Because, of course, that you could see how easily that could become... Um, it could become a, so easily a racist practice. It's so easily like um, not giving, it would be certain people who would be able to to get certified and certain people who would not be able to get certified, right? So indigenous healers would be like, you know, I've been practicing for, like, you know, I learned this from my mother and her mother and her mother and her mother since the dawn of time, but I can't jump through your hoops to become certified, right? Yeah. So, you know, um, I, I think as a group, herbalists still think it's important to not, regulated because regulation doesn't do anything to make ensure that somebody is qualified really no it doesn't right yeah the more unfortunately yeah the more they try to have oversight upon things the more i feel it just becomes very disastrous very quickly um yeah but if somebody wants that professional recognition they can jump through the hoops and get it but the vast majority of us have not done it yeah. my understanding, yeah. And it sounds like it's a community that you all would quickly recognize. Like, oh, that person just jumped through the hoops real fast. Now they're trying to hang out with us. Like, <laughs> I don't know. It just really definitely well, the hoops to, are like, hard to like jump a, through, so. <laughs> well, sure. And that, that may be, you know, a testament to something. But at the same time, like, I don't know. I, I feel there's definitely people who try to get up in there. Whereas you all, I think the place that you're coming from it, is different than somebody who's just like, I just want to be certified and do that. You know, Mm -hmm. I think you're coming Mm -hmm. from a place where, wait, no, like this is actually who I am. I really do connect with plants. I feel great that I connect with plants. And I think other people would feel great if they connected to plants as well. Mm -hmm. And I think those are the people when I look out across the sea of uh, whether it's education or just natural sciences, like those are the people who are always the most successful to me Mm -hmm. is the genuine ones Mm -hmm. who, who genuinely just say, look, man, I may fail. I may make no money. But I really like doing this, mm-hmm. and that brings me a lot of joy, mm-hmm. and and hopefully health too, mm-hmm. right? Through especially mm-hmm. plant medicines. Mm-hmm. Um, so you suddenly find yourself um, working for this botanical organization, and you get out of there, and and you start doing Texas medicinals. Mm-hmm. And now, what are some kind of things that are in your way? Any obstacles? And um, you said you lived here in Austin for thirty years, right? Yeah, I live in Wimberley right now, but I've been there for like two and a half years. So yeah. I've lived in Austin since 88, basically. So long, yeah. longer than 30 years. Yeah, 35 years, really. Jeez. With a little split, little a little run out to Amsterdam for a year and a half, and then three months in New York. And 
half a year in Arizona. But those all for just uh, living life, or were those <laughs> right? For, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I so. Um, so, what have been some of the biggest struggles in the field of work that you're in? Um, I would say the, you know what, I think it's when when you choose a path that you're just so impassioned by and you still need to make money. <laughs> I think the the permaculture concept of streams of income has been what I've really paid attention to um, so that I can use my interest in herbalism to bring in different streams of income, right? Uh-huh. So that's where the medicine making comes in, right? So let me make medicine and sell the medicine and I can make the medicine and sell the medicine wholesale and I can make medicine and sell it retail. And if I need to bring in a little bit more medicine I'll ha- or, or income, I'll have a sale or I'll go to the farmer's market or, you know, do something like that. I do consultations so that that's another form, that's another stream of income. And then when I started teaching, that's another stream of income. So I think it's just figuring out as an entrepreneur how to support yourself through, you know, how to support yourself through your habit. Yeah, <laughs> that is the toughest challenge for us all, right? Uh-huh. The music makers, artists, <clears throat> mm-hmm. gardeners, right, right. you know, it's definitely challenging. Um, and what kind of students find you? What kind of, what would you say those students are? Are they just interested in medicine? Are they nature enthusiasts? Are they people who, what type I, of? I, you know, well, I do think that the name of the school, Sacred Journey School of Herbalism, um, it really does act a little bit as a filter because it shows you like, no, we're not just talking, we're not just talking about facts here, right? I mean, that yeah. sounds strange. I don't know how to say that because we are science-based, but it's more than science, I right. think is what I would like to say. So having Sacred Journey as part of the title kind of helps people see like, oh, we're actually diving into something. Right. And um, so the people that are attracted to the program, I think, uh, are varied. And I have people who never done anything with herbalism. I have people who are already herbalists. Uh, we've had doctors, um, nurses, um, people who are very young. I used to teach teenagers quite a lot. I had a program called Little Green Witches. Um, Whoa, and, yeah, that's it, cool. It was amazing. Little Green it Witches. It was amazing. It was a great program. <laughs> <clears throat> and um, uh, so we have uh, always, we, there's always young people. Um, and their interests really vary. And I think a lot of times people don't know what they're getting into and suddenly they're on this path that they had no idea that their life was going to change. And we hear that over and over and over again from people that their life has completely changed from the program. So for instance, like we start the year by reading Braiding Sweetgrass by Dr. Robin Wall Kimmerer. I love that book. Which is always one of my top two favorite books of all time. I don't even know what the other one is. So I'll say it's my favorite book of all time. (laughs) And uh, that shifts people's brains right away. Right. Um, And so just, People have an interest in plants, but they don't know them, and they think, oh, I just want to learn the plants, or they're like, well, I want to make my own medicine, so I'm going to take this program to learn the medicine, but what they get is so much richer and so much deeper, because we don't know until you know, you know what I mean? When you enter a new field, you don't really understand what it is from the outside. It's only when you get inside and you start finding the magic of it and how your life changes when you are able to recognize the plants that grow around you. And then when the plants start speaking to you by showing up in your yard 
or, you know, dangling in front of you on a path and like getting your attention that way or yelling to you from across the field. <laughs> Or when you sit with the plant, we do a lot of plant sitting and people get profound experiences of sitting with the plant and really having, you know, I try to explain that it's not really woo-woo to say that this is another being because it is inherently scientifically, it is another being and you can connect with that being. We can connect with those beings, you know, it's energy. Yeah. That's all it is. Like energy is a scientific concept. So, you know, it's like taking the woo-woo and really grounding it. And I think that's where herbalism really shines. It's like, um, yeah, it's a very grounded practice. Well, you're taking something that I think people would perceive as kind of like, like you said, woo-woo or abstract, and you're making it pragmatic for them. Mm-hmm. You know, you're putting the plant into a practical application. And I think that for teaching children purposes, you know, if I walk by and I say, hey, you know, this is, uh, you know, poison ivy, they might catch on. But if they get into it, mm-hmm. <laughs> now they've had an experience with yeah. that plant. And so I think that's where you're going with this, is that's what you're mm-hmm. wanting to create is this actual relationship that binds humans to this plant world. And so for the people listening, what kind of advice would you give them if they're wanting to get started? What would Ginger right now tell Ginger back in the day who is getting started with all this? Like where to maybe go or some Well, of course, I would, in- I would always love to bring people to my programs. So, oh, you know, right, gingerweb.com. Sure. But, um, you know, I think get a local field guide, a wildflower book. And take it outside with you anytime you go on a walk and start seeing if you can identify the plants that are growing around you. And I think it's easiest and most fun to start with the wildflowers. But if it's not a wildflower season, you know, get a tree book and see if, and it has to be a regional book. It has to be specific to your area. Um, And start seeing what you can, whether you can identify things that are living around you. So, you know, going on a walk and using that book and, or if you don't have a book, I, I think it's great to have a wildflower book. Um, a field guide, but you could also just start seeing if you can tell how many different different plants there are that you, you know, like a lot of times for people, it's like the green noise around yeah. them, right? It's, it's just a wall, wall of green, right? Mm-hmm. Um, to actually see whether like, oh, what vines can I see? You know, what trees are there around? Like, even if you don't know their names, just noticing that they're different. Oh, how are they different? You know, this neighborhood seems to have more of these and this neighborhood seems to have more of those. And I didn't see any of those. And, oh, look, there's an acorn on the ground. There must be an oak tree somewhere. Yeah. It's amazing when people finally start noticing those things. Like if you point out like a hawk to somebody and then that's something they're like, man, I see hawks all over my neighborhood Uh now. I'm like, Mm -hmm. no, they've always been there. Mm -hmm. It's just Mm -hmm. never been in tune to your awareness, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And so... Getting into herbalism first, I would agree that if we're going to start practicing with plants, we should first know them. So identifying, starting them out. My teacher, uh, who was also from New Jersey, her name was Carmen. Mm -hmm. Uh, She's just just such a sweetheart. Um, She told us, hey, you know, here's the best way to learn to to get to know a plant. She said, just sit with it from every stage of its life. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. plant it in your house. So get a dandelion Mm -hmm. and try to grow it in a pot (laughs) and look at what it looks like when those little Mm -hmm. cotyledon leaves pop off and versus the all the growth. And I just thought that was so beautiful because that was truly in my perception getting to know mm-hmm. a plant because mm-hmm. it's one thing when I'm like oh cool stinging nettle you know mm-hmm. and I just go grab it or you know be careful to grab it y'all mm-hmm. uh, but if I'm making something out of it tinctures or you know stinging nettle cordage or something like that I'm 
I sometimes forget that it's a being mm-hmm. and just because it's a sea of it. Mm-hmm. So I'm not, I'm just like totally cool with ah, me grabbing a handful. This isn't a big deal mm-hmm. versus approaching it with a sacredness of, you know, this being's probably been here a lot longer than I have. May, perhaps, maybe, I don't know how long. Well, also we don't know but, what it's, you know, what it's, it has its own life and it yeah, has its exactly. own relationships with, and it's, yeah. it has its own community of, of other beings that it's living with. And we, you know, we don't harvest for several months in the program. Um, for that reason, um, because that's not our, we, you know, I think in the West, <laughs> we just think, oh, I have the right to, we, it, there's a lot of entitlement in our feeling of like, oh, we can just go, oh, that, like people get so excited. Now I know the plants, I'm just going to go harvest them. It's like, no, <laughs> wait yeah. a second, slow down. Like, no, we're, we're, gonna, we're building relationships. So I always teach my students that um, as herbalists, first, we are stewards of the earth first. And then we're herbalists. Then we can make medicine. But only if we get consent from the plants. And so for consent from the plants, you have to have relationships with those plants. You know, you have to know what it feels like to get a yes or a no from a plant. And then how beautiful and empowering does it feel when you get a solid yes? You can feel the yes in your body that the plant's like, yes, please harvest me. I would love to. Yes, I'm, I'm available. Here I am. Right. And then when you make medicine with that plant, it just like all of the weird guilt feelings that we have of, you know, living in Western culture and, you know, ex- being in an extractive culture where we're just taking, taking, taking when the plant actually tells you, yes, I'm, I'm ha- I'd love to work with you. Then all of that goes away and you're in this more sacred relationship with them. And the medicine feels amazing. Yeah. I think, um, is it Stephen Buner who talks kind of more about this style of approach to plants and getting to know them. He might, but it's also just, this is herbalism. Yeah. To me, this is, this is the herbal, this is the herbal culture that I grew up in. Yeah. You know, was, I mean, Michael didn't talk this way, but this is the herbal culture that I know of, you know, that this is how we practice. Yeah. Yeah. So this is a more indigenous way. Sure. For sure. So there's a story, Karen Saunders is an indigenous elder herbalist in, in uh, California who she grew up, I believe in Tennessee or Kentucky, I'm not sure exactly where, and she drove across country, and she drove to this mountain. She had this very specific plant uh, species that she wanted to harvest, and she drove all the way, and she drove up all the mountain, and she walked up the trail to the herbs, and she gets up there to the herbs, and they say no, and so she gets back, <laughs> drives wow. back, goes back to her car, gets back in her car, drives to California, right? Like, that's that's what we're talking about, that level. Wow. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's, a, that's a trip that, oh, I, but I understand. I, I get when the sentiment is wrong. Um, yeah, a friend of mine told me a story about hunting a deer. He was mm. like, he was like about to hunt this deer, and then he was like, I don't know. He's like, something's telling me yes. He's like, but something's also telling me no. Mm. He's like, but the yes is stronger. And then he just didn't do it. And the next day, that deer got run up against a fence by a pack of dogs and died. And 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 he was like, whoa, you know how interesting is that. Mm-hmm. so there was the gift like it was like almost saying like it's okay and then the very next he didn't do it and then the very next day that happened so it was like I, I sometimes think we need our own experiences to understand how that works because mm-hmm. sometimes I talk to people and they're like I have no idea what you're talking about right now <laughs> I'm like oh yeah. okay well we practice that in the school you know yeah. I mean that's part of what again we take the time to do that kind of sitting with the plants where you 
you know, you get to commune with it, get to know it and everything. And then we also share with people how we, you know, we might approach, like at one point in the year, we have an an agarita harvest. So it's an all day agarita harvest. And we actually do um, dig it up, even though you don't have to dig it up for the medicine, you can just use the twigs. But this is an exercise in um, working together as a team to harvest a plant and actually having the experience of taking the plant's life, right? Which I think for a lot of people is like, you know, we take plants' lives all the day, all day long, right? right? But it's like, no, this is a large shrub, and you're going to dig it up, which means it will no longer live here anymore. And so we do it as a as a group, and um, uh, but we all sit with the different. We we go around and sit with different ones first, and we basically, it's basically like go see if you can find one that says yes. And so all the yeah. students go out, and we just kind of learn how to feel it. It's just it's very simple. It's not it's nothing, you know that everybody can do it. It's just like, just get out of your own way, get out of your head and just feel with your heart or with your energy, you know, is, am I leaning towards the plant as a yes? Or am I leaning away from it and saying no? Or is there a story that I'm, that I'm suddenly thinking of that the plant maybe just shared with me that says yes or no? Yeah. It's just, I think it's, it sounds weird, but once you do it, it's really, it happens pretty quickly. It's like, oh, oh, I get it. Okay. Yeah. And that's, that's exactly how I feel about all of it, whether it's harvesting plants or hunting, fishing. I'm, I'm always trying to ask that. But then I f- also feel like as a survivalist and an opportunist, I'm just like, I'm hungry. <laughs> and I think this is not going to allow me to continue my life unless I do this. So mm-hmm. therefore, it's a yes. Um, I'm curious about any um, myths that you would like to dispel about herbalism. There's so many people who I've talked to, and I think sometimes their perception, because they're not you know, in the know, is that herbs are kind of like pills. Right. Right. And I try to say, well, I don't think it works like that. And you can correct me if I'm wrong here with what I'm about to say. Please do. But I, t- I, I explain to them, I say, I think what ha- is happening is the herbs are supplementing your immune system. It's boosting your immune system in a way. Right. Some, well, some do. Some do. Well, right. It depends on what's the herb. Oh, okay. I, yeah. Mm-hmm. But in that situation, the immune system is then taking care of the, the problem. Right. right? So that's, is that in a nutshell, am I safe to say that's what's going on with herbs in, in how well, well, medicinals? Well, I think with immune, like in, that's a, that's a small picture of a little microcosm uh, of, it. of one type of herbs, but yes, you're right for a lot of, you know, even with herbs that we might call antimicrobial or something like, oh, that herb's antiviral, that herbs is this, it's like, yeah, well, well really what's happening with it is that you're ingesting it and the body is then for the most part, um, that's probably what's happening is that it's stimulating the immune system to do what you're asking it to do, right? right. So I think about, yeah, I think that's a good way to describe it. Like, mm-hmm. um, I'm trying to think of one, like a lantoin, right? It, it rapidly, a lantoin is a uh, constituent in comfrey. Correct. It rapidly pulls in hydrogen cells into the tissue. Is that, is that my, my, I, I don't know. Oh, <laughs> see, that's just, well, this, see, that's what I'm saying, but it's not necessarily the plant that's doing the work, but it's a, the plant is allowing something else to take place. And so I think that's what the kind of the question I was asked originally was if you could, if you have any, uh, dispel some myths that we may have heard about the herbalism world. You may be so far beyond all this that you're like, I don't even devil in all that, Chris. Well, no, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think of something that matches your question. Um, I think that the, people's understanding of the way herbs work is still often within a Western 
model, a Western uh, physiology model, or like still thinking the way Western medicine works, right? Yeah, so I do exactly. have people who come to me who have um, some sort of a health problem and they think, well, I don't want to take that anti-inflammatory pain reliever. I want to take something herbal. Yeah. And <clears throat> a lot of times... Um, for instance, I'm not going to give them anything herbal. I'm actually going to talk to them about lifestyle. I'm going to talk to them Boom. about dietary issues. I'm going to talk to them about stuff like that because, you know, I had, um, a colleague back in Amsterdam. She was, uh, from Tanzania and I remember her explaining with, um, issues of environment and development issues. She said, you know, it's like mopping with the faucet on, you know, yeah. you got to turn the faucet off first. And Correct. she was talking about pollution and things like that. But with herbal medicine, it's the same thing, right? Because herbal medicine is just one tool that we can use to address health. And so when someone comes to me with a health problem, I'm going to so often, you know, I'm going to talk to them about food intolerances, you know, and gut health and antibiotic use and things like this and how, um, and they probably will get some herbs, but they also might, we also might look at yeah. their life and do what you, they're doing. Yeah. Do you have a lot of folks who, when you bring that up, do they address it and go, oh, wow, I never thought about any of that, about how that's actually impairing my... Well, people don't necessarily know how drastic it is, like how, how, how bad it's gotten um, that people's food intolerances are really causing most of our chronic illnesses. Yeah. So, like and- this rise in allergic reaction to peanuts in kids. My my naturopathic friends all say that's gut biome. That makes sense. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, really? Is that true? Mm-hmm. And now I want to start again. I'm just a nerd. I'm want to I want to learn everything in the world. So I'm like, <laughs> I'm gonna dive into this rabbit hole, y'all. Watch out. <laughs> well, I think in Austin, you know, I think that we have a pretty high understanding of, you know. You know, it's a it's kind of a health food mecca in a lot of ways, right? Whole Foods came out of not that I'm a big Whole Foods fan anymore, but I Whole for the Whole Foods company, happened. you know, is Austin born and raised, right? Yep. And Wheatsville Co-op, which I do love Wheatsville Co-op. Um and so health food has been a part of um the zeitgeist of Austin forever. And I think that as long as, as well as like, you know, margaritas and stuff, but, <laughs> but Chips so I think it's, it's not unusual for in, in my world for people to, you know, be gluten free and dairy free or all these different things. So people, a lot of people have already experimented with those things, but a lot of times I'm going to double down on something with somebody and explain like Hashimoto's is directly connected to gluten directly. It's a direct connection. Boom. Like uh, let's address it there. And I can give you herbs to support the Hashimoto to to support your thyroid. And I can give you herbs to support your entire body. We need to look at this connection you know, that it actually starts breaking down the sheath around whatever, blah, blah, blah. So, uh, yeah. So I think that's one of the myths is like, it's not just like, oh, is there, an, is there an herb for that? It's like, well, no, but there's herbs for you. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good way to put it. It's, there's not herbs for that as herbs for you. That's mm-hmm. a great way to put so it. So sometimes people will ask me, for instance, um, you know, oh, have you ever treated this condition? And they'll say, well, no, but I'm happy to treat you. Like, Let's go into it. Let's look at it. You know, it doesn't, because I don't always need to have experience with a particular condition to be able to help a human being. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, and do you think that if more doctors were just like that, we would all be a little bit better off? <laughs> sure. <laughs> Because I'm over here thinking, like, I don't know, help me. Um, I'm, like, pulling my hair out going just, like, why aren't we all like that? Like, exactly that response, which is, hey, this diet works for everyone. No, it doesn't. 
You mm-hmm. know, like, hey, this herb works for everyone. No, it doesn't. Mm-hmm. You know, hey, this lifestyle works for everyone. No, it doesn't. Yeah. So I love that yeah. you're acknowledging that this one size fits all thing is completely ridiculous. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's why I asked my Yeah, question. well, Western medicine obviously has its place, but I think that, um, you know, and I'm personally very grateful for Western medicine, but it's not, it's not what um, Western medicine is good at when something breaks, yeah. for instance, you know. Um, or can be a lot of where we go to when something actually finally breaks. That herbal medicine is really good at all the time before something breaks in the body, right? So it's to actually help you not break. It's for things not to not to fall apart. It's right. for chronic illnesses to not take hold, you know. And then if all chronic illnesses do take hold, well, that's where we can also we, we can address that um, and help turn things around if we can you know so it's always I feel like herbal medicine is just always support for the human let's support the human and try to ameliorate the situation ameliorate your health bring back the the vitality so there is a there's a concept in herbal medicine called vitalism and it's really about addressing like really what we want to help people uh, rediscover in their health is but their their own vitality. So uh, one of my teachers, Paul Bergner, talks about when he had a client who, at one point, she called him and said, "You know, I just found myself making breakfast for my kids this morning, dancing to Marvin Gaye in the kitchen." And he's like, "Boom! There, you got your vitality back." You know, so that's what we're going for: is that 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 gleam in someone's eye, that's that 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 readiness to move their body, that happiness, that joy that comes forth. So that's where we're trying to get back to. Yeah. And that can be within the context of also, you know, uh, you know, we're all mortal. Things are always going to happen, but like the longer we can experience that vitality, it just gets better and better that way. Yeah, I agree. Homeostasis, right? That's, that's what I, I was hearing is just like, you want to maintain homeostasis, right? Is that, is that correct? Am I saying that right? You're saying the word right. Yeah, I'm not yeah. really. Sh- I, I don't. I don't know what to L- go with. <laughs> like a like a, a good balance. Um, one of my friends, Sam Kaufman, explained this to me one time. He says, um, you know, like homeostasis is kind of like having a hundred dollar bill when you wake up in the morning because you've got good sleep. Yes, and yes, you've got, but, right. You but, don't want to have already expended correct. tomorrow's money. Yes, mm-hmm. and that's what I was think. I was thinking when you were saying that is like maintain that. So. I have a question about um, still nature, but a little bit different topic. Um, do you think that technology is helping more people connect to nature nowadays or not? I know, kind of an off question, but um, I'm, I'm well, you know, I was just walked, I was just uh, watching um, Alexis. Hum- is that her last name? Humphrey, the Black Forager, yesterday on TikTok. I, oh yeah, I freaking love TikTok. I love TikTok. I learned so much on TikTok, and there's like so many cool. Like Sam Thayer was doing. He's a he's. I uh, just ordered a, his new book today. Right, so Sam Thayer and Alexis and Linda Black Elk are all together for Sam Thayer's launch of his book, and I'm getting to watch it all on TikTok. I'm like, okay, this is awesome. So right. I'm getting to see, and you know, um, Alexis, you know gained fame and notoriety and, and, and popularity from, from, from technology, from yeah. being on social media. So that's so cool, you know? So I think these things can be used for good in that way, right? Yeah. Um, I, I always joke with my students about don't use the plant app, you know, don't use the plant oh, app seek. for identification. But I've come to realize that they can be useful, but I want them to learn, like somebody had to write that app. I want you to be the person that can write the app and the apps are often wrong. I want you to learn what the plant looks like and how to maybe identify, make some uh, educated guesses about what plant family it is and things like that. But then they can get confirmation from the plant app perhaps or, 
or a hint from the plant app or things like that. So I think technology can be used for good and evil, just like everything else. <laughs> yeah, that was brilliant what you said, which was you go around and identifying it and then you use the seek app. Mm-hmm. Dang, I'm going to mm-hmm. use that on my teachers now. Yeah, or do it I let the other way around. Like you have to time. use the app and then, and then explain to me why that's correct or not correct. Oh. You know? I'm going to give them a, what's that other <laughs> book, um, Keying Out a Plant. That's so hard to do sometimes. That it is really. That confuses me. I'm so like, the wait, best, what? The, best, the book that we use to learn Keying Out here in Central Texas is Woody, uh, Nate, Native and natural, it's um, Brother Keith. That white one on the far right. Yeah, Native and naturalized woody plants in Central Texas. It's like this long name. Yes. But it's the, you can, it's the best one to learn the key with because the key is small. You know, and it will only really work in the hill country. It won't work like in Bastrop as well. But you can really learn how to key out a plant that way. Yeah, and if y'all don't know what we're talking about, it's basically using the anatomical structure to get exactly to pretty much the species. No drawings, just words. Just words. <laughs> it's it's pretty cool. But um, yeah, so any weird or fun nature facts that you know that you would like to share with our audience? Um, can you give me a hint? Yeah, I'll give Let's you see. one. Last time mm-hmm. um, somebody talked about how baby armadillos, they give birth to four identical DNA quadruplets every single time. Oh my goodness. Isn't that crazy? Every wow. single time. They just produce four of their little perfect offspring just like them and then they go out. <laughs> so weird. Genetic genetic makeup is identical match. Hmm. So what was the question? A weird, oh, any weird nature facts. Yeah, like, like let me give facts. you an example. You, uh-huh. The remarkable plants of Texas. You yeah. know how in Matthew Turner's book, he just goes on and talks about all the bizarre facts about uh-huh. these plants. Do you have any that you'd love to share? Um, well, uh, uh, bald cypress trees are cousins to the redwoods. And if you've ever seen a redwood tree, the oh, leaves yeah. of redwoods are the same as bald cypress leaves. And if you want to take some bald cypress leaves and drink them as a tea, they taste very, very similar to the redwood leaves. Really? So they're actually cousins. Yeah, those are cousins. I didn't even know they were drinkable. Yeah, they're yeah. delicious. They're very, they're very mild and lemony and yummy. They're very lovely and grounding. Yeah, really, really nice. Have you ever used that sap from the cones? Um... I don't never got a lot of sap from the cone, so no, I haven't. I was at a, and I, I don't ask me where I know this. Maybe this is like ancestral wisdom or something, uh-huh. but I'm sure I actually learned it from a book <laughs> at some point. But I was at a pool party, and uh, I guess somebody was drinking glass b- bottles, broke um, piece of glass was in the pool. I didn't uh-huh. see it, stepped on it, sliced my foot open pretty bad. But there was all these bald cypress trees around me. Oh. So I go to the cone yeah. and I crunch it and this yeah. orange goo comes out and uh-huh. I'm pretty sure somebody told, told me it was analgesic. So I just kind of sealed up my wound and let it dry and everybody was so fascinated. They're like, what What did you just do? See, well, that's so beautiful because that's when, you know, that shows somebody who actually knows plants because it's not that you need, it's not that you need to go find a specific, like somebody go find me this specific plant that I learned about in a book you actually thought about like what is there growing around me that's Mm -hmm. right in front of my face that I could use as medicine and um, I never studied with this man but this man Peter Bigfoot lives in the Chiricahua Mountains I believe in Arizona you did study with him Uh, uh, yeah I got his book right there yeah yeah so he's beautiful I never studied with him but um, he'd be surprised to hear me talking about him but I think about that where he says that you know every time something happens you know every time somebody gets bit by another 
scorpion or whatever. He just assumes it's, you know, God is teaching him a new to a new plant medicine because you just look around and see what there might be right there that could help. And thinking about like, oh, I want something that's going to draw and going to be antiseptic. And so, yeah, like the resinous aromatic um, a liquid coming out of a a bald cypress tree or a pine tree or a juniper tree or something like that is going to be highly antiseptic and antimicrobial, you yeah. know, and that also help draw. So first thing I thought of, and I don't know why I, I was actually also looking for something that was sticky that mm-hmm. would seal yeah, the, see? tack the wound together. Right, right. So it was a little trifecta of It's when purpose. all those little pieces of information in your head come together and you're like, oh, this, this is what I'll try. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Another fun fact is um, I always laugh about walnut trees here in Central Texas because we do have some of the big ones, but we also have the the little walnuts that grow along oh, the rivers. Yeah, yeah. You know, the, and they're basically shrubs, you know, walnut shrubs. Right. Growing, coming from the Northeast where, you know, trees are trees. Right. <laughs> Youngless, <laughs> the big ones. This is funny to find like a walnut shrub. Mm-hmm. Um, but I tend to use the leaves of the walnut tree more than the, the green hulls. And the leaves are more like um, for... Um, helping to heal the gut over the long haul, whereas the the green hulls might be more for use for parasites or something like that. So I like using different parts of the plant in ways that maybe are not always written about. Yeah. Same with mullen root has not been written about as much, but it's not as popular. People don't know it as well, but mullen root is an amazing medicine. So Mm. it's also really cool to think about um, some of our most medicinal plants that like, I don't even work with ginseng because it doesn't grow here and it's, um, been hard it's it's a it's a it is an endangered plant in the wild but what Michael Moore taught us was that the leaves are are have the same medicinal um, effects as the root it was just that the root will be able to sit in a burlap bag in a you know in a warehouse For a long longer time. so yeah. if you God, start to learn so that's sense. how we work with with um, agarita is you can use the twigs and the leaves you don't have to dig up the root to get the medicine because it's all one big old plant. Yeah. You know, I remember Sam Kaufman teaching me about, um, Bacchus neglecta or the poverty bush. Mm-hmm. And he was saying that, you know, because it's kind of false willow, it's an aster, not a true poplar or anything, but he said you could use the tops of it just like you would use the bark. And I was like, yeah. really? And that just blew my mind. Cause I felt like how much easier is this to just snip the top <clears throat> off this tree versus go and scrape all the salicin well, and acid and, off the bark. And so much of that you're going to, you're going to, um, be able to ascertain by taste. Yeah. So actual the the physiological experience of putting the leaves in your mouth, if you know the plant is safe to put in your mouth, putting the leaves of a plant in your mouth and then putting the bark in the plant of the plant in your mouth and going, oh, it actually has the same taste. Yeah. So you have the same constituents in it. Or you might taste them and they're different. And then you know that you use those plant parts differently. Right. Yeah. Boy, howdy. That stuff dries my mouth out instantly. (laughs) (laughs) It's so bad. Um, Last thing is, well, do you have anything you'd like to share or ask of us? I I always forget to ask (laughs) our guests if they have any questions. Well, I mean, a big thing that's happening right now is um, after 24 years, I'm ready to um, hand over the reins of Texas Medicinals to a new person. Y'all hear that? Uh, <laughs> so Texas Medicinals, like I said, I've been, this is my medicine making company. I've been doing it for 24 years. And um, I keep thinking that's going to be somebody's really fun party next year when they take over Texas Medicinals and they get to have a 25th uh, anniversary party of, but so that's something that's happening in my life right now is I'm, I'm preparing to sell 
the business, that part of the business. And then I will keep the, I will continue teaching. So Sacred Journey School of Herbalism will continue will, uh, I'm sorry, continue under my tutelage, Um, but the Texas Medicinalist, because I'm making room in my life to be able to write the book that everybody keeps asking me to write. Yeah, Ginger, come on, where's the book? (laughs) So (laughs) I just need some spare time. Did you ever get a chance to work with uh, Rosemary Gladstar? Yeah, she was just here a couple weeks ago. I wanted her on the podcast so bad. And I know she'll come back. I'm sure she will. But yeah, how how is she? I've never doing? gotten to study with her particularly, but I have spent a little bit. I've got. I've been fortunate to spend a little bit of time with her here and there. And I mean, yeah. she's one of the kindest people I've ever met. I've never heard a negative word come out of her mouth. Right? She's a just such a beautiful person. Yeah. 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 That's exactly. I I love describing people like that. Mm-hmm. I, I, one of the very first guests ever on this podcast was Ellie Rome, and I told her that exact thing. Mm. I was like, I don't think I've ever heard you say anything bad. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> she just can't. So uh-huh. how do we find Sacred Journey and how can we get in touch? So uh, the website is that is mine and will continue to be mine is gingerweb.com. Okay. And that's gingerweb with two Bs. And uh, Sacred Journey School of Herbalism. Are, we have a few little classes happening right now. Usually the summer, we don't teach a lot in the summer. We take the time off to prepare for the big class that yeah. starts in September. So the, the 200-hour program starts in September, from September to May. And you can take just the online portion if you only have time for that or you live somewhere else. Or you could take just the outdoor portion. And we've now arranged it so that... Um, some of the primary foundational tools I make sure both like it gets addressed in both sections of the class but then of course our preference is for someone to take the whole thing all together and it is designed for that for sure that's our preference um and so yeah that's September to May so we have you know we are in actively enrolling right now um and if you sign up for our newsletter on the website then you could be apprised at any time if we're having an herb walk or a say well yeah herb walks or other little one-off classes here and there Um, but you can find out about the open houses so Tuesday nights most Tuesday nights will have a zoom open house that you can sign up for on the website and then you can just you know show up on the zoom open house and ask me and Lauren questions and there you go yeah Tuesdays open zoom opportunity to learn all about sacred journey Ginger, thanks so much for being thanks, on. Chris. This is a lot of fun. Yeah, nice to I, meet you too. I, yeah, I would love to have you come back on and just t- talk more. Because honestly, now that we've gotten this history out of the way of who you are, my goal <laughs> is to just have you back on and not just nerd out over plants. I yeah. really love herbalism. Um, I've been making tinctures and bookshelf. Yeah, I make a lot of soap. I don't uh-huh. know if you make oh, cool. soap, no, but I, I love I, making soap. Yeah, I don't make soap. I'm a dork for all these things. <laughs> yeah, like a pottery. It's like oh, clay pots beautiful. and arrowheads and different yeah. things. So, well, you're Making out. Making stuff is from plants. It's fun. Oh, it's so addicting. <laughs> I can't stop. I'm a basket weaving fanatic. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, well, thank you so much, everybody. Um, look for Ginger Web on um, Texas Medicinals or Sacred Journey. I think you have Instagram and all that. Oh good yeah. Stuff. Inst- oh, thanks. For, I always forget about these things. Uh, yeah. So Instagram is Sacred Journey Herbalism. There you go. Or Texas Medicinals. Yeah. And then uh, on Facebook, it's Sacred Journey School of Herbalism or Ginger Web. Yeah. There we go. Thank you so much Thanks, again. Chris. And we'll see you next time. Y'all take care. Bye-bye.